You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis, America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis, Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chicken Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this episode. I'm Jen Duplessis, and I have today a joy with me is Stacy Johnson Cosby, who happens right. to be a twin, by the way. And I know her beautiful sister, who I who I love as well. And her name is Tracy, right? Tracy. That's right. Stacy, yeah. Tracy uh, lady. Yeah. <laughs> and Stacy is an entrepreneur, a realtor, an investor, a speaker, and a community leader. Uh, she loves to share her experience in real estate investing as a plan for retirement, which I have to tell you, Stacy, is so refreshing to hear a real estate agent say this. We'll talk more about that. Um, yeah, to say that um, and how you can build uh, wealth. She's a 30-year veteran and with a real estate license in Kansas and Missouri. And she's with Berkshire Hathaway, right? I love that. Um, lives in the Kansas City metro area. And um, she's just fighting to preserve property rights, private property rights at a time when everybody's under attack from the government. Of course, we know that, that moratorium on, you know, just taking our properties. Um, and her, according to her, we must protect property ownership and raise the awareness of the benefits of property ownership. So with that, I, I am absolutely delighted to have you on the show here today, Stacy, and um, just excited to dive in. So I wanted, I wanted to sort of start with um, what I was just mentioning, you know, I was mentioning the fact that, uh, you know, I've trained over 3000 real estate agents in my career, and just a little bit. Just a little work, you know, but 3000 real estate agents in my career and, um, you know, so many real estate agents don't own real estate. And I find that just mind boggling. And I've asked the question several times, you know, every time I do some type of speaking or a presentation, I ask that question. And especially right now, when the volume is lower, we, we have lower inventory, interest rates are higher, um, you know a lot of clients will ask the real estate agent, you know, is now a good time to buy? And they'll say, yes, it's a great time to buy. I'm not buying, but you should buy. Right? <laughs> Where? So I just want to get it from the horse's mouth, right? Where is this coming from? Why is it that real estate agents, and, and quite frankly, you know, mortgage lenders for, for you who are listening here is, you know, why, why aren't we buying more real estate um, to savor our wealth when we, this is our product? Because I think some people don't think they can buy it. Mm. And so there's a lack of confidence there because they think, you know, I, I can't buy it. I can't be an investor, which and they, they should know better. And um, and so that's the mindset that we have with our clients as well. We need to tell them, yes, you can be a homeowner. If not today, then you need to start today to prepare maybe a six months, a year, two years, or five years down the line. But you must start 
at some point. And so I think a lot of agents do the same thing that home buyers do. Oh, I can't do it. It's too complicated. And so I think the problem is that they just don't have the confidence. And again, like you said, this is our product. If we don't believe in it, why would our clients believe in it? Absolutely. So we need to speak from first person experience to say, hey, I've done it. You can and you should, too. Yeah. So how did you make that transition? So let's, let's step back 30 years ago. You know, you got into the business and I know, I know Tracy did too. And then she left, right? She's like, I'm done. Yeah, I know. I love it. And I, and I love what she does because it's all about, you know, safety and I, she's going to be a speaker at one of my events and, you know, I'm just so excited, but anyway, so, uh, you know, you go way back in this and you say, okay, well, I'll sort of dabble in this real estate thing. I, I see that you have some freedom right, sis? And, you know, you're, you're working these different hours, maybe who knows what, but you have all this freedom in the world. And let's tell, let's talk about what you were doing and then what you saw as a, the potential. And then where was the trigger or the tipping point where you said, wait a minute, ah, <laughs> I'm not going to be like everybody else. Right. Okay. So, and back in the old days, everybody um, used to, we want to be rich, want to buy real estate. Um, and so Tracy got, of course, got me in real estate. So I'm in the real estate business. I run into an agent who is coming from her and two of her friends. So three of them are coming from being teachers into real estate. Mm -hmm. And so what she said was my light bulb moment. What she said was that her plan was that she was going to buy 10 properties that all rented for $600 each. And when they, when the properties were paid off because the tenants were paying them off, right. she'd have her retirement income. So not only would she have at least 6,000 a month and after however many years, you know, the rent's going to go up, but then she would have these paid off assets, thus her retirement. When yeah. I heard that it was like light bulb moment. So instead of just randomly buying one or two properties here or there, have a strategy. And so my husband and I said, okay, that sounds good. So we had a goal to, you know, acquire a certain number of properties, get them paid off. And I'll tell you, he retired five years ago. And so it's a matter of putting the plan into place. And the way she said it was so very specific and strategic. And it wasn't random, like, I'm just going to go out here and buy some property. She was very clear. And to me, that was like the eye-opening moment. Like, there is a plan to be made for retirement and for financial freedom. It was right there. So simple. Yeah. So, so tell me about your strategy, you know, cause I'm a real estate investor as well. Um, tell it, tell me about your strategy. It sounds like it's almost a step strategy. Um, and you know, depends on how long ago you bought it, because when we started buying property, the step strategy was, um, you know, at that time you could buy an investment property with 10% down and have PMI, which is no big deal because it was an, an expense that could be written off because it was an investment property. It had nothing to do with your income or tax benefit, you know, those kinds of tax things. Mm -hmm. So, um, so every year we would save 10% of our income, you know, or, or whatever amount it was. And then we would buy a property with 10% down and then we'd go to the next property. And of course, because we were working, we didn't need the, the income from it. So we, you, we snowballed the first property mm -hmm. and used all of the positive cash flow um, to pay it, pay it off. Then we bought the second one. We used the positive cash flow from that second one. Well, so I already said that wrong, but we use the property, the positive cash flow from the second and first one to pay the first off. Mm -hmm. right? Keep moving that money. And then when we bought the third, we used all three of them to pay the first off. And then once that was paid, then we diverted all the funds to the second one. And then we diverted all the funds to the third. And that's how we accumulated a lot of property free and clear. Mm -hmm. um, that's one strategy. Now it's more difficult to do that now, because obviously with investors, we need 20% down if we're doing traditional financing, which I don't do at all anymore, but how did you do it? Okay, so we got lucky. This will tell you how long ago it was. Our very first duplex. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We assumed and, it. It was an assumption. It was an assumable oh, loan. Gosh. So yeah. we just paid whatever it was and assumed the loan, the two tenants of there. And yeah. then, um, and so after the first two that were assumptions, which were really easy because all you do is write a check at close, I mean, you know, pay at closing and they're yours. We just assume someone else's loan. Um, after that, we ended up finding a lender that did um, um, rehab loans. And so that was just a beautiful thing for us because it was all packaged into one, everything at once. And so we were able to uh, use that same loan to acquire the property, make the um, renovations on the property. And at the end of it, we would either refinance it and keep it and rent it out or just sell it. And so it was just a wonderful loan for us. We would call our banker and say, okay, Andy, we found another property. And he'd say, send me the contract. And we go and sign our papers, get the checkbook and start the renovations. Not a penny out of our pocket. And so that doesn't really really exist anymore. So we were able to accumulate like a lot of um, duplexes or triplex or fourplex, a lot of properties, single family homes that way. And then 2007, 2008 happened and everything changed. And so oh, yeah. um, we haven't, um, yeah, we haven't really acquired since then. Our focus since then has been to pay everything off. And so my husband would do like the snowballs and you mentioned he'd pay one of them off. And then he'd tell me, hey, Stacy, we're going to, you know, this one will be paid off. This next duplex will be paid off in two years. And then he'll come back seven or eight months later. Hey, it'll be paid off next month. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so he was literally, <laughs> right. He was literally taking yeah. all of the money, all the rents and just paying them off one at a time. And then he got enough of them paid off. He said, OK, I'm retiring. And then he retired. And then now we have um, all of our property debt free. We don't have any um, mortgages on any of them because it was a focus. My focus is to acquire them. His focus is get them paid off. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I think, and what's so smart about this is that, and, and I want everyone, you know, not everyone, but I want you listening. I want you to hear this is that while you're earning money, that's when you accumulate properties. I hear so many people say, well, when I retire, I'm going to sell my house and I'll get a million dollars from selling my house. And then I'm going to buy property. That is not the time to do it. Now is the time to do it when you don't need the money that's coming from, you know, or the funds, positive cash flow that's coming from these properties. Mm -hmm. And in fact, many of the properties that we purchased were on a 15 year term, which people are like, what? Why wouldn't you have all that cash flow? We had some that we had negative cash flow of $200 a month. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, you have a car payment of $700. You don't think twice about that, right? Non-tax deductible, non-preferred interest. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were like, hey, because we were buying houses either for cash flow or for appreciation. Mm -hmm. And some of those were appreciation where we, we knew we would appreciate very quickly. We'd have a low payment. It would pay off exponentially. And when we sold that, we could buy two more houses. And now we took the bigger, the the less risky path in that. So I love that you did that. But but this is what I want you to hear when you're listening to this podcast is you have to start now. You really do. So how long did it take you to accumulate that much property, Stacy? Well, we started that first duplex was um, maybe twenty seven or so years ago, 27, 28 yeah. or so years ago was that first one. And we, like I said, we held on to them and, and didn't buy anything after 2007, 2008 until, and so yeah. we changed. And, and so we were, we were lucky that every single property we had, we had positive cash flow. every yeah. single one. Rental. Yeah. The only, the only one that, and the, the rental, the only one that we didn't was the, the last one, that we, I mean, that we did, it was only about a hundred, 150 a month was the one we bought in 2007, 2008. We put it on the market to sell. And it's like still sitting there like three, four weeks later, it's like, uh oh, something happened. And we rented yeah. it out. Our yeah. cash flow was only a hundred there, but otherwise we did, we did great. And that's yeah. how we were able to, you know, roll that back in there. And so, 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, hopefully you're increasing your rent now because, you know, rents have gone up exponentially across the country and they continue to go up, right. which is really good. So, um, okay. So that, thank you for sharing all that. You know, I really wanted to just dive into that investment part of it because, you know, part of this podcast is not just, you know, when I call it, when I called it mortgage lending mastery, you know, we have lots of real estate agents that listen, lots of investors. We bring investors and real estate agents on here too, because it's mastering everything about you know, lending and real estate. And that's what I'm trying to do for everybody. It's not just, you know, hey, this is how you calculate P and I, you know, <laughs> it's not that. Can so, I, yeah, so, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Say this really quickly. Um, when you said just get started, I talked to maybe a couple of weeks ago, I had someone that, that wanted me to meet someone that wanted to be an investor, wanted to get started by their first property. And what I saw was, and this may explain a lot of people, she's like, well, I'm trying to meet with people to talk about, you know, what they're doing. I have a developer that gets grants and loans and all this. Oh and my he, gosh. And he won't meet with me. And what I told her is it's like, stop. Yeah. All you need to do Today, go talk to a lender, get pre-approved for your loan and buy your first property, period. Just go do it. You don't need to do all this complicated stuff. And they're buying blocks of properties and big developments. Wholesaling and, and yeah, all doing wholesaling, all that stuff. All yeah. that. Stop. Yeah. I said, stop it. Do one property. Get started yeah. with one. And then, you know, after you see how that works, then it is easier to do more. But just start and start with one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's great advice. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, I, I speak at a lot of investor conferences mm -hmm. um, as the mortgage expert. Right. And I talk about that all the time is, you know, the whole, the, just the, the constant talking about, I'm going to be a wholesaler. I don't have the money. So I'm going to wholesale. I'm going to find the deals and they don't even have the experience to do that. So it's, so I've said to them, you know, go to your traditional lender, but the key the key here, and I'm going to preface this. So, so, you know, for you listening here is the key is go to a lender who has experience working with investments. Don't go to a lender that has experience doing govies and, and owner occupied, all this stuff. You've got to find someone who is very experienced in that. So if you're listening and you're not experienced in that, and you want to participate right. in the investor world then get your hands wrapped around the investor world, because okay. it is a completely different pitch sell, edu sell to a client. Um, investor financing is not about the interest rate. It's about the final numbers. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely about the final numbers, making, making it work. So you have to be creative and you have to be persuasive in a good way, mm -hmm. um, you know, to help the investor through that first purchase, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you have to know the tax laws too, because it will help your investor as well. <laughs> so. I tell people to get a team together. You need your lender, you need your accountant, and you need to make sure that all of the things that you're doing, your estate planner, how how yeah. should you hold it? Should you hold it as an LLC or personally? All yeah. of that, get a team together in place so you have people, the experts to call on. Because the, the one thing we don't want them to do is make a big mistake and have a nightmare of an experience. Then they won't do it anymore and then they won't be able to encourage their clients to do it. So do it right the first time. And I think that first call, not only having a real estate agent, but get the lender, the lender who does investments lined up first and foremost, yeah. must have that. Yeah, must have that. So I'm glad you reiterated that. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> okay. So, you know, so you're an experienced real estate agent, you know, here we are in today's market, you know, we're, we're filming this in 2023. Right. Um, you know, I, I heard someone say, you know, when, when rates are, when rates come down, prices will go up. And so borrowers who, you know, and buyers who are waiting for rates to come down are going to have a fast rude awakening that all of a sudden the values are going to go up because now we have competition. It's 
it's life, right? Supply, supply and demand. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing to keep yourself busy and speak to the real estate agents who listen to this call and listen to this podcast, as well as the loan officers, what can you, what, what are you doing to keep yourself, um, you know, thriving in this uh, so they can hear that, but then what can loan officers do to help their real estate agents right now? Um, I've been telling everybody, be ready for when the when happens because the when will come. Mm -hmm. And so hibernating or pouting, I was just saying this yesterday, stop pouting and start right. producing. Right. <laughs> right? Um, right. And so, yeah, coveting, you know, and sitting at home and going, well, I'm just going to wait till everything happens. You know, give it, let it come from a third party, from you, not from me, from you. What do you say? We should do. Okay, so, and one thing that I say, just you, you just alluded to it, what goes up must come down. The market will change. Yeah. And so I just had an agent um, and I've been licensed 35 years. So I've been through all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. But this market, I just, and it, it it became clear to me that there's, that we're in a different time. I had a, a younger agent who's been in the business maybe a couple of years, um, a couple of weeks ago, talk about the fact that they need help. When he came into the market, it was a totally different crazy market. And now it's kind of getting quiet. And he's like, what do I do? What am I supposed to do now? So the same thing you just asked. And so what I'm going to do, I have a lender um, here and we're going to meet and we're doing a workshop on doing open houses because ah, I think you yeah. need to get the pipeline, fill the pipeline. You need to have those buyers ready so that when the market, you know, either changes and more inventory becomes available or when those buyers are ready, you can just get them, you know, lined up and ready to get into homes because there'll always be houses out there. You might have to fight and compete for them, but they'll always be out there. And so um, what I'm advising him to do, and we're, we're bringing some more agents on board, we're going to talk about how to host an open house, how to get the, you know, the right people there. The last two open houses that I did, um, we worked with a lender who had down payment assistance. Um $10,000 and $15,000 each time. Yeah. We advertise, yeah. we promote that. So the last um, um, down um, home buyer workshop, we had 87 people register. Oh, wow. And the one before that, we had like 75. The thing that gets them, and so, and think about this, and I bring agents with me so those agents can take and work those leads and hopefully they will, because yeah. if the people don't buy today, they will, they just need to keep them in the pipeline and keep in touch. Right. Um, and so my, my goal there is to say to all these buyers that if not today, if you can't buy today, we have a lender that's on the line, talk to the lender, find out what you need to do if you can't get approved today, but you, you're prepared six months, a year, two years from now to buy the home. The agent stays in touch with them until then. And they're constantly hosting those open houses and, and building up their pipeline. So I think that is something just productive to stay busy. And when they pick those open houses, pick them in strategic areas where they want to do business, not just any random open house. If you want to be in the three hundred to $500,000 price range for buyers, you hold those houses open. And in the off times when you're not working with clients, you're going and you're looking at the inventory. And so you have your schedule lined up. You're either looking at your inventory, doing your, your research, you're preparing for your open house, you're marketing, you're identifying people, or you're continuing to do your home buyer workshop. But there are things to do to stay busy in this market to prepare, you know, for when the for when the when happens. happens. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, I think that that's, you know, super, super important. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I have some questions to ask you based on this, because I, I know my audience, they're going, okay, ask her this, ask her okay. that, Jen. And I'm really great at, at knowing what everybody wants, but uh, you know, uh, so you made the comment, you know, hold open houses, right? So what does the real estate agent, so let's imagine a, a client, I mean, a loan officer is going to a realtor and a realtor says, I don't have any open houses. I don't have any listings. I don't have anything. Mm -hmm. 
what can they do? Are they, are you suggesting that they go and sit at someone else's open house uh, from your office? Is that what your suggestion is for those who do have open houses? Because right. I, I feel like that, that definitely is a plan in the past. It's been a big plan for newbies coming in, but with less inventory, do you find that more senior real estate agents are sitting at their own open houses for their own benefit right now? Or do you sure. find they there, are enough, there are enough to go around. Okay. And so I'm lucky, like you mentioned, I'm at a Berkshire Hathaway company. It's Reese Nichols in Kansas City. So we have multiple offices. So if there's not something in my office, there's going to be something in another office. And they can just get into MLS, find another agent with a company and call them. Because most agents and older um, agents who have been around longer, I should say. Yeah, more veteran. <laughs> veteran. That's good. Yes. <laughs> a lot of them don't like open houses. Right. At all. And, and our clients like them. Our sellers want them. And so yeah. it's a benefit for them to be able to have someone hold it open. So that I think it's never a problem to find an open house that you just call an agent that has an open a house in the area that you Listen. want to strategically be in and ask, yeah. can I hold it open? And if you can, if it's on, if it stays on the market long enough, maybe hold it up in two Sundays in a row, three Sundays or whatever, or find things in that area. But those listings are out there and they can find them. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Can you give us one tip that you're sharing in the open house workshop mm-hmm. that is besides, besides Tracy's safety tips, because right, right. <laughs> I know that's part of it, right? right. Her safety tips, which by the way, uh, you know, I interviewed, I interviewed Tracy on this podcast. So go back and listen to her, her, her interview. Um, but besides that, what's one tip that someone could have that is something new or different, or you just think is really powerful. that doesn't get done properly. Okay. Two things. Number one, I would have like a market analysis of the neighborhood just so that I know everything that's happening in the neighborhood. If someone says, oh yeah, the house two blocks over just sold, what did it sell for? You better have the answer because you're the specialist. Yeah. Yeah, so I want you to have a market analysis already done. So you see what just sold what's on the market now. And you are the expert that day in that house, in that neighborhood. And so regardless of who's listing the property, I get it. Your homework. Yeah. You do your homework. Yeah. And so in advance, you're not only going to do the market analysis, you're going to look at the other ones that are actively on the market. So someone's coming through saying, yeah, this may not work for me. You can say, oh, there's one two blocks over. Got you know, let's have a third bedroom or a third bathroom or whatever. Yeah. So that you are the expert. So that is important. You can answer those questions. But the other one is a lender either has have a lender at the open house with you or at the um the sheet that you all do the sheets yeah, that yeah. here yeah. at this sales price here's what your down payment is going to be here's what your closing you know your closing cost down payment here's what your payment's going to be so that you can let the person know if you do buy this home here are your numbers um, and if you don't people- buy this home call this lender and get a pre-approval for the next one yeah Absolutely. um yeah yeah so i mean i am I'm, I'm actually a little floored that you still think lenders are really um, important to be you know to have a, an open house spreadsheet um because that's what we call them, open house spreadsheets. But, uh, you know, maybe because for so long, interest rates have been so low that nobody really needed any of that. Um, you know, people were coming in with their lender, you know, already approved and, and it sort of, not to say that it went by the wayside. I know that if you're listening to this, you're, you're saying, no, I still do them. I just haven't done them in probably, well, and I'm not in the business anymore. You know, I'm out. A matter of fact, in a couple weeks, I'll be celebrating 40 years in, in this industry. Wow. But, um, you know, I stopped doing open house spreadsheets probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, for me personally, then my business is, was a lot different, but I get it. I know what you're saying. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Second thing I want to ask you is 78 people at a home buyer seminar. I will tell you that here's, here's what I hear. Here's what I experienced is the only time I ever had that many people at a home buyer seminar was when I was doing a 
uh, Virginia Housing Development Authority, right? Doing something like that where they had to come in and get the class in order to be able to take advantage of the housing, um, you know, gifting and granting. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you do? And you said, you know, you've been doing this a really long time. It sounds like you have a team built up and it's, it's a collective, um, it's a collective process, right? Where everybody, everybody is doing something. Nobody's, nobody's saying that's mine, that's mine. And so it's, I say from a loan officer perspective, it would be hard for me to invite my realtor friends and say, Hey, we're going to do one big one together. Cause then there'd be fighting over whose, whose lead is whose lead. Give us some ideas on how to increase the number of people that show up at a home buyer seminar right now, because I think it's so important right now. And it's not a first time home buyer. It's a home buyer seminar. There, everybody needs to, right. to know what the market's like. That's right. Yeah. And so um, for me, the, the, where I learned this secret was um, maybe a couple of years ago, three years ago or so when Wells Fargo did their neighborhood lift and they were um, advertising $15,000 down payment assistance grants. And I'm right. like, Wow. And so what I did during that time, and this is when I first started, I knew that when I advertised $15,000, it got everybody's attention. I actually went into the community, into some churches, some pastors let me speak. And I, what I was speaking about is I was promoting the home buyer workshop I was going to have. And I'm telling them, you can get $15,000 down payment assistance, because we know typically people may be scared and think they can't qualify the barriers, or they don't have enough down payment assistance. They don't have enough money, the resources, or they have poor credit. And so um, when you can tell them you can solve those two things, people will tend to show up to get more information. So we always have someone there that speaks to making sure that their credit is in order. And if they have some issues, they can work them through that, their credit repair, credit enhancement, yeah. whatever it is. And we also have, um, I'm always advertising some kind of down payment assistance. It has to be at least 10,000 or more. So the lender that I'm working with now um, only can cap out at 10,000. I wish it was more, but that's good enough. And so I have to advertise the $10,000 down payment assistance, credit repair, loan officer on site, agent on site. Free That day, you can actually make, book a one-on-one -on -one appointment with the loan officer to sit down with them to get pre-approved or to meet with them. And to meet right. with all of these people, you're going to have an opportunity to meet them and meet with them on that day. But the key, the trigger is advertising and promoting the down payment assistance, whether it's $10,000, $15,000, that you can put that number prominently in the, the information. That's what get I think that's what gets the people in. And okay. so when they had that program back then, um, we had a certain number of grants, a certain time frame. Yes. I sold maybe 12 to 13 homes to people who otherwise would not have purchased the home, but for that $50,000 down payment assistance. It, it creates a sense of urgency to say it's here, and you can get it. Um, and so I think people need to solve the barriers that they have. And if you present everybody in one place to solve them, that does it. Yeah, that's great. And not everybody's going to qualify who shows up, right? People are, I mean, yes, they have an issue, but also they may make too much money for the DPA, right? There's there's uh, other things, but that's what's so great about having the loan officer there is to give them the opportunities. When do you hold these homebuyer seminars? Do you find they're better at night? They're better on the weekend? And how long are they if people are on site and 80 people are waiting in line to get their credit pulled? And so we had, um, and we've done a hybrid for both of them. The 70 the something that we had, um, most of those people were online. And so um, okay. the last one we had, the 80 something, most of the people were in person. And so we do them on Saturday mornings. And as yeah. a matter of fact, my goal this year is to create more homeowners and investors or people buying real estate to yeah. be intentional about it because we know now that people are talking about it, that's where you create generational wealth. That property is going to be something that you pass along to future generations and you need to get about 
creating that today, the family legacy, and you can't just continue to rent forever. So my mindset is like, I need to be urgent about getting out there to the community. So I'm going to do them. I'm going to try maybe every Saturday for this year, maybe every, I'm, I'm sorry, not every Saturday, every month to do right. at least one home buyer workshop and promote it heavily. So the people yeah. can make the first one. I'll say, that's fine. Catch me at the next one. But we do them on Saturday mornings. I haven't done an evening um yeah. Maybe that's the difference. I haven't done an evening <laughs> workshop, Saturday mornings, a couple hours. Well, you know, and, and I, yeah, and I love that you're doing a series. I tell everyone all the time, don't ever do a one and done because it's like, oh, I can't make it. Well, that's okay. We have them all the time. So now you have that's no right. excuse for not making it. Yeah. And in the alternation between a Saturday and maybe an evening, because some people can't do Saturdays because they have kids and all these right. things. And yeah, I was, no, I was just curious. Thank you for sharing all that. And, and hopefully you got yeah. a lot of really great nuggets listening to what Steve Stacey has to say, you know, and that you took really good notes and, um, and ideas. And I took on, I took on a really good idea, which, you know, is, is soliciting the DPA. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, where, as we finish up our time now, where do you see 2023 and beyond going, um, in this mark, you know, in, in what we're seeing, and we know interest rates are probably going to be coming down. We know that we're going to be coming into a recession, which is yay. Goody. I love recessions because rates always really? drop in recessions. They always, okay. always drops, you know, historically. Okay. So if we, you know, we're, it's like, bring it on. So the rates can drop so that we can start, you know, working harder and, and longer and all those things. So where do you see, where do you see uh, the market going in, in this year and beyond? So this is going to be a weird answer, not probably what you're looking for, but what I see is, um, and it's politically, it's in the environment, legislatively, yeah. I see a big threat to private property rights. Yeah. And so I think like my, my fight now is to make sure that we preserve the rights to use our properties as we want to. You mentioned the CDC eviction moratorium, yeah. which was the big, the first time I think a lot of people looked at the fact like, wait a minute, our properties aren't our own, but we had government step in and yeah. tell us, hey, Stacey, you have a contract with your tenant, but hey, you don't, you're not gonna honor it. They're gonna be able to stay in your property rent-free for as long as we say they can. Yeah. And so that was a wake up call to a lot of us in the industry, but the tenant, there's a tenant movement out there, tenant protection, tenant protection, I put it in quotes, movement, where they use the CDC eviction moratorium to further their, their, um, their push for policies that are more, um, social, yeah, yeah, socialist. So as a, as a landlord or housing provider, my tenant is my number one customer. I mean, I need my tenant. So you don't need to protect my customer from me, but they use that as a guise to further their movement and their movement. And they latched onto like Bernie Sanders and some of the other socialists in Congress on a national basis. They moved into saying, you know, that tenants have a right. Housing is a right. It should be guaranteed. Everyone should have somewhere to live, whether they can pay for it or not and whether they're in my property or not. And so a lot of the tenant protections that are in place will be removing rights from me, giving them more to renters. Right now it's balanced. I need the renter as much as they need me. So it's like any other competitive business, you know, it's yeah, right. Demand, but they're, changing it. they're yeah. changing it. They're changing it. And now tenants have more rights than you. And so when you, in some places we're trying to stop it. So when you see the government trying to put rent control in place, they're capping my profits. Yeah. Yeah. That is not acceptable. And they're trying to tell you when you can and can't evict someone. Yeah. They're actually doing just cause eviction in some places where if you want to take your property back and use it to move a family member in and move in yourself, where government's saying, nope, that tenant gets to stay as long as they want. And if they're not violating laws. 
Yeah. You've got to be joking. So I experienced that. Yeah. I actually experienced that in Colorado with one of our properties. Um, you know, we couldn't get her evicted. We finally got her out. Finally, finally, finally got her out. And two days ago, she contacted my brother, my brother and I own the property because uh-huh. we inherited it from my mom and dad. Um, she's suing my brother for $6,000. She may, she may win in this morning. Three, three years later, she's now suing him for, you know, $6,000 because um, she was kicked out of the house because she didn't make the payment. Did she get a free taxpayer funded attorney? Cause that's happening. Uh, yeah, I don't know yet. I don't know. It's just literally two days ago. And it, yes. because, you know, it's definitely happening now that isn't, you know, this isn't to scare everybody. This is, you know, it I, is to, it is to scare everybody. Well, it is, but it also me, you know, we don't want to have everyone, you know, to say, okay, well now I'm not going to buy any. No, 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 not in that way, not in that way, but to <laughs> yeah. fight, I mean, to go to our legislators and the policymakers, because Absolutely. they're the ones hearing from these tenants. We need to say, wait a minute, we are we're people too. And this yeah. is our business. A lot of us are small community housing providers and right. this is retirement. And so we yeah. need to let them know that we're on the other side of the transaction because the tenants have a great big voice and we're doing the same thing. We're building a national coalition. We have one here in our region, but we're building it nationally. We're working with the National Association of Realtors to make sure that they see us and they know that we are the creators of housing and that they need to watch us too. It's not just about the tenants. You don't need to protect them from us because we're protecting them. But yeah. they need to know that the rights they're they're chipping away, taxpayer funded attorneys. We have a tenant right now that hasn't paid their rent since September. We're trying to get yeah. them out. And they have a taxpayer funded attorney because my city, my council passed the tenant um council, right to council. So they get I'm paying for their attorney and mine because it yeah. passed in my city that they get a free taxpayer funded attorney to fight an eviction for non-payment of rent. So I'm paying their attorney and mine. And these yeah. things were happening and people are missing it, but we need to be engaged with our policymakers to say, wait a minute. And so I'm just saying we need yeah. to be aware. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really good cause. And, you know, for, for, you know, our listeners, we have investors, we have mortgage lenders and we have real estate agents, you know, this is a, a um, platform that, that we could stand on. This is something we could bring to our local association of realtors. This is something we could sit on a committee of, you know, and yes, it helps our business, but it also shows that we're involved in the community and we're we're right. fighting for our, you know, our livelihood in the future. So I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, private. Okay. So let's talk about, let's, let's shift the gear real quickly mm-hmm. and just talk about where you think the market will go as far as, um, you know, opening up as far as rates dropping down. Do you see that the business is going to, are you already seeing that business is starting to ramp up again? Um, and I'm not trying to get you to say, you know, by June, you should be able to, you know, to be able to, um, you know, be back to some kind of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly because I don't want anybody hibernating. I don't mm-hmm. want anybody saying, well, I'll just wait till June. That's right. not, the, that's not the deal, but right. what, what's your take on where the market is? Well, that, that we can't predict it, but we need to do what we always have done and be consistent. So what you do in a, an up market, you do in a down market. And even so more so now when you're building your pipeline, getting the sellers ready to go on the market, getting the buyers ready to go on the market. So I think that we our mindset has to be consistent and not trying to predict what's going where, but to do the things that are tried and true, getting that pipeline of those buyers and those home buyer, you know, from the, um, um, the open houses and doing the home buyer workshops, all of those things, keep doing what you're doing and then keep communicating with your sellers and getting them ready to go on the market. I have two homes that are coming on the market in this next couple of weeks and just staying in touch, you know, with those sellers, like, yes, now is a good time to get on the market. Inventory is low. It's probably a great time because you don't have as much competition. So just to be consistent in your business plan and continue doing what you're doing. 
Great. What one piece of advice would you give to a loan officer to support a real estate agent in this? Now, obviously, let's have a home buyer seminar. Let's have, you know, homeowner, I mean, a open house uh, workshop. Um, you know, I'm here to support you with pre-approvals, but what, what one thing, if I'm a loan officer and I'm going to approach my realtor is saying, I just don't have anything. I need help. What one thing would you help? Would you recommend that we do? Well, see to approach the agent because they're, and I say this about real estate agents. I say about loan officers, they're like a dime a dozen. There are millions of them out there and they're always calling to get our attention. And so that, you know, I want to help you. It's like, I already have my lenders that I use regularly. So what can you do differently? There's a lender in our market who will go to agents, he'll propose to them that he'll host their Tuesday, their tours, you know, when they do the agent mm-hmm. tours, mm-hmm. he provides the food for that. Mm-hmm. He'll do, um, he'll go to the open houses with them. He'll bring food, yep. he'll bring the, the sheet with them, the, the rate sheet and all yep. that. And so bring value, be very specific and say, I'd like to do this with you. I'd like to host an open house. I'd like to host a home buyer workshop. And here's what I bring with you. And one of the things you can bring is like the, the food and the marketing, because yeah. those are things that are enhanced what we do. I don't want to have to pay for food, but I know people want it. So if I have a loan officer that's bringing the package to me, offering to help and offering to help market it, I think that's a big deal. And that sets you apart from a loan officer. They're just calling like, Hey, can I get your business? Like, no, yeah. I have no, 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 no. None of my clients would do that. Right, right, <laughs> none of my right. clients. I don't know about anybody listening on the podcast, but none of my clients would do that. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, we don't be do exceptional that. and do something yeah. that they're not getting. Do something differently than what they're getting already, and offer something of service so that way they look like, hmm. And they may not use you now, but they will consider you because you're offering something that they need. Right. Right. Awesome. Beautiful. Okay. One last question. Mm-hmm. A mantra an affirmation, a quote, a book that you're reading, what would you like to leave for the audience? Speak to the person. Okay, so what I would say, and I'm I'm going to quote the great Gloria Steinem. What she said, and this is kind of what's on my mind when I'm hosting these workshops and I'm telling people you need to own homes. You need to at least own a home. You need to own real estate. You need to buy properties, one or more. What she says, and and this is long-term, what she says is that, Wealthy people plan for three generations. Poor people plan for Saturday night. <gasps> the, question, the question I always ask audiences when I'm talking to people, what are you planning for? Because I'm planning for two or three generations down. I have my estate planning all set up and I'm planning for my great nephews and nieces and, and all the way down from nieces, nephews to great nieces and great nephews. So I have two generations in the books officially in my estate. So I'm two generations there. I'm working on the next one. I love that. I love that. That is so true, right? It is. is. So true. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. You know, you're just a wealth of knowledge. I know you have a lot, lot that you want to say. We just tapped the surface of what you you would possibly be talking about and we could have this podcast for hours, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking time. And we're recording this on a Saturday morning. So Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do that. I know you're probably going to get out there and sell some more homes today. And uh, (laughs) I really, really appreciate your time. You're, you're just a delight and honor such a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much, Stacey, for, for your time today. I appreciate it. And thank you. You're a wealth of knowledge as well. And so I thank you for that. And thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So everybody, thank you again for listening in. Um, I appreciate you for listening in. Please take a few minutes to go subscribe to our YouTube channel and don't forget to follow us on this podcast if you've not done so already. And give us a great five-star review. I say this every single time. 
write something about Stacy that you learned so that I know what, what she brought, what value she brought. What was the one thing that she said today that just, you know, triggered you and take action on that. And last but not least, just remind you that we are having our three day virtual event called limitless. Um, on March 28th, 29th, and 30th. So make sure that you uh, get registered for that. We have the link below in the show notes and um, we will just see you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. Go make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets, fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.